Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, what does yesterday's Ontario election mean for Ontario and for conservatism in Canada? Plus, a little bit of personal news to end the show. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. It is Friday, June 3rd, 2022, the day after the Ontario provincial election and perhaps the beginning of a big reckoning of where the political parties in this country actually sit on the political spectrum, if they sit anywhere at all, which isn't necessarily a given. Now, I promise you, I know we've been doing Ontario overload lately, but I promise you we're going to be moving on from this after today's show. I I do think it's important to talk about, though, because we are right now looking at the re-election with the majority government of Doug Ford, a leader who is not a conventional conservative by any stretch. He's far more of a populist. We know this by now. It's not an original observation. But it, it is important when you look at it in the context of what his opponents say he is, because they all view him as being this far-right demagogue when conservatives are looking at him and saying, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I would be okay with far-right, but I'm not actually seeing far-right. So that's the the complexity that you tend to get out of this. But the reason I bring this up now is because he won, and it's interesting to see all of the fawning and adoration he's tended to get from very unique places. Like we remember during the COVID pandemic, how he and Christian Freeland and Justin Trudeau had this uh, sort of buddy comedy romance thing going on. And and then he wouldn't uh, campaign for the conservatives, for the federal conservatives. So he's kind of been in this little bubble of his own here. And if you look at the last two years, the COVID file has dramatically changed what his first term would have looked like. I think Doug Ford elected in 2018 with a majority government without COVID would have had some people saying, well, you know, I wish he had done this. I, mean, I didn't love this. I you know, would have been great to have seen a bit more of this. But, but ultimately, it wouldn't have been eventful. It wouldn't have been a, a raucous affair, his tenure as, as premier. And with COVID, it's a bit different because now he has to defend against his right flank and his left. He's had an exodus of caucus members that he kicked out. He kicked out Randy Hillier. He kicked out uh, Belinda Carajalios. He kicked out Roman Babber. There were others that were not running again that were not officially kicked out, but we know were forced out or resigned because of pressures they were getting. People like Toby Barrett and Jeff Urich and Christina Midas. So you've got a large number of MPPs here that just didn't get along with the premier's office. And one of those incidents, Toby Barrett, who is a longtime MPP in Haldeman Norfolk down in southwestern Ontario, his riding is quite a fascinating one because Toby Barrett wasn't seeking re-election, but his longtime executive assistant was seeking to run. She wanted to run for the PC nomination and she wanted to run in his riding. Now, she was, for whatever reason, not allowed to, and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but the party didn't give her a chance. They appointed someone else summarily. So it's not like she lost the nomination. She actually just uh, didn't get a chance to run at it. So she decided she was going to run as an independent. Bobby Ann Brady's her name. She won. 
with 35% of the vote. That is uh, about four and a half points above the PC candidate, Ken Hewitt, but she won that seat as an independent, and she had the backing of Toby Barrett. She had the backing of a lot of people that had been longtime conservatives in that riding, and good for her. It is very, very difficult in Canadian politics and within that Ontario politics to get elected as an independent, and she did it. So this speaks to how there is some, and again, you may say it's an isolated case, but it speaks to how there is very much some frustration with the status quo right now and frustration from conservatives, from people on the right with Doug Ford. And if at the end of it, he's got a majority, he's increased his majority, he did it without running on a particularly conservative platform, I understand the concern there that he's kind of proving the concept that you don't need to be a conservative and offer anything specific to conservatives to win. And and I think that there are two reasons why that's wrong. Number one, provincial politics and federal politics are are different animals. The, The political cultures are different, the themes are different, the parties are very different. So that's part of it. The other thing that I would add that I think is important to keep in in mind here and to to have as a little bit of context for this is that low voter turnout generally favors the incumbent because change is a significant motivating factor. So if you've got a high turnout election, that means that, okay, people are probably motivated by something, whereas this was an election where it almost became a punchline, the Seinfeld election, the election about nothing, even more so than the last federal election. So in that, I mean, through that perspective, right now what we see is an election in which no one was really motivated to come out and vote Doug Ford out. But similarly, Doug Ford supporters weren't really all that motivated to come out. I mean, I, I look at the riding in which I ran uh, t- four years ago in 2018, and the number of votes that I got, it was uh, just, uh, I think, about 30% of the vote. And the candidate who ran for the PCs this time around won fewer votes but a slightly higher percentage of the voting share. And that's just because so many, so few people were voting this time around. I think this was the lowest turnout of any provincial election in Ontario's history, which is not a record you want to keep. And and that's not an endorsement of any party. That's not an endorsement of Doug Ford. That's not an endorsement of Andrea Horvath and the NDP. It's not an endorsement of Stephen Del Duca and the Liberals, the latter two of whom have gone now. They've resigned because they realize they don't really have futures leading their parties. So right now we have three parties that are not grounded in any particular ideology. They're not grounded in anything that is really rallying their base. No one's excited to be a provincial progressive conservative. No one's excited to be a provincial liberal in Ontario. No one's excited to be an Ontario NDP supporter. And in fact, the Ontario NDP is getting a lot of the same criticism from the left that Doug Ford is getting from the right of of like, you know, a party that's just chasing votes instead of truly advancing a cohesive, solid vision. Now, their vision is, of course, one that's a lot further left than the vision that small C conservatives are pushing on Doug Ford. But I share that with you just so you know that no one right now in Ontario politics seems happy with the options. And I think that's why you had an independent, Bobby Ann Brady, who was able to win. And if you look at New Blue and Ontario Party, two parties that we focused on a fair bit, not because I was predicting they were going to come in and form government, but because they were a part of the story. 
They were a part of the story of the conservative movement. They were a part of the story of the Ontario election. And combined, I'm just looking at the numbers here. I want to make sure I I get the math right here. I think they're combined at like 4.7% of the overall vote. So Ontario Party had 1.8% of the vote, so not huge. New Blue had 2.7%. So between the two of them, that is 4.5% of the vote, which is not nothing. I mean, just to put that into context here, the Green Party had 6% of the vote province-wide. And New Blue and Ontario Party combined, two first-time parties that no one had ever heard of before the before this election, combined have about 4.5%. And that's more than the PPC got in its first election in 2019. So that's a federal party. But again, I'm, I'm just going to show that these things are, they're small numbers and they may be electorally insignificant, but they're not politically insignificant in terms of, of what it is they represent. Now, I spoke to uh, Jim Carajalios and Derek Sloan both, and I know that Derek has said he doesn't know what he's going to do. He may stick with the Ontario Party. He may go back to federal politics. Maybe he'll do municipal. Like he, He's not committing to any path, whereas Jim Carajalios has said, no, 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 he is focused on building the new blue, building this party as an alternative to Doug Ford and the PCs in Ontario. And they had Belinda Carajalios, who was originally a PC MPP, and by the end of it was a new blue MPP, which speaks to the leadership challenges that the PC party had internally with Doug Ford. So I don't know how much of that is going to be a thing moving forward. I suspect it may be. I mean, certainly a lot of people who were the the so-called problems or perceived as the problems have been turfed. But I think there is something to be said about how, for the most part, this is still going to be a situation where Ford's got to provide something for his base. Because for the people that just decided they were going to grin and bear it, the people that didn't love it, that certainly weren't happy with the last two years, but understood that, well, the Liberals and the NDP wouldn't have done anything better, and they might have actually been worse, they'll say, okay, I, I don't want them in, so I'll vote PC. And, and I don't know if you want to call that strategic voting or if it's just choosing the lesser of evils or if it's just prioritizing electability over anything else. That's the calculation that a lot of people made. They, and I, I heard from people that genuinely were struggling. They're like, you know, I, I would have said three months ago, I'm never in a million years voting for Doug Ford. But, you know, now that it's coming and now that it's a little less theoretical, I'm thinking, well, do I want to let a liberal or a new Democrat win? And, and most people were saying no. So I think the danger here is that after the last two years, when you had vaccine mandates and vaccine passports and lockdowns and no real opposition from it, the only opposition was coming from people like Andrea Horvath and Stephen Del Duca that said, we need more vaccine mandates, more mask mandates, more vaccine passports. No, don't lift restrictions. Put more on. The only thing, yes, more on is right. But the only reason the only reason a lot of people voted for the conservatives is because they didn't see there as being a viable alternative. And I know that New Blue uh, was running candidates in all ridings. They saw themselves as an alternative, but people know it takes time to build these things up. I mean, just look at the Green Party as a great example of this. The Green Party didn't win a single seat in Canada until I think Elizabeth May in 2006 which was, you know, more than 20 years after this party had been started fielding candidates. But every election, they were taken seriously. The media would even put them in the debates. The media would give them attention. And the same courtesy has not been afforded to upstart right-of-center parties. 
which is not at all surprising, but I think it's something that people need to pay attention to. So the media likes to just create this myth that the Green Party is a thing. And then once they finally elect someone, it like justifies to them, oh yeah, we got to focus on the Green Party. The Green Party's a real player. Well, here we are. Everyone was wondering if the Green Party in Ontario would pick up a second seat. Ooh, but it didn't. It didn't. They, they were uh, behind the PCs in Perrystown, Muskoka. So there was no Green second seat. And Mike Schreiner, the leader, won his seat again in Guelph. Okay, great. Congratulations. But it's not a party that is this game, this game changer that it's often presented as. So that I think is where we have to understand that the media has a direct role in deciding which things are taken seriously, which parties are taken seriously, which leaders are taken seriously. And and that's a a significant agenda-setting role they have. I want to bring into this discussion uh, Sue Ann Levy, who, like me, has has had the misfortune of running as a PC candidate in a provincial election and losing, so she knows that feeling very well. And she's my colleague at True North. Sue Ann, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, you're welcome, Andrew. How are you? I am doing well. I mean, I can't say it's all that surprising what happened. I I think that everyone at the beginning of the election, as I said earlier, knew what was going to happen. The question was really just about what the numbers were going to be. And, you know, were they going to pick up this seat or or not? For you, any surprises last night? Yes, my own riding. Uh, Not in terms of the PCs winning a majority, but my own riding of St. Paul's in Midtown Toronto. I really thought the Liberal candidate had it. But um, the uh, NDP candidate won on the backs of anti-Black racism, unfortunately, because I didn't think she did a good service for the riding the first four years. However, we are in that woke culture, um, you know, and we're in the midst of all of that. And, you know, it's a runaway train that we can't quite catch yet. Yeah, and, and that's I think the big thing here because there there have been there's been a lot of hand wringing I think about what the parties stand for, and I think conservatives can uh, and are justified in asking the PC party, are you really a conservative party? I think the liberals are justified in asking their party, what do you really stand for? The NDP seems to be grappling between okay, do we try to be this centrist liberal alternative, or do we try to be the uber woke critical race theory party? And and I mean it seems like that side's winning out that latter side is winning out. Andrea Horvath had to go. She's had four runs at it. And, you know, I remember chasing her in 2018 when she had a series of questionable candidates running for office, particularly in Toronto. Uh, But I think with her gone, she kind of kept the party in line that way. And uh, I fear that with some of the people who've been elected, particularly my own MPP and Kristen Wong Tam in downtown Toronto, that there's going to be fight. And I think that they are going to veer further to the left and become more woke. Kristen Wong Tam is a real radical radical lesbian feminist, um, and as is Jill Jill Andrew here in my own writing. So let's talk about leadership contenders then, because do you think, I mean, I've heard, I saw someone, I think on Twitter this morning, not that Twitter is always the, you know, the oracle of truth, but I saw someone suggesting that Christian Wong Tam might be a contender for a leader. Do you see that as being viable? And, and otherwise, who else do you think is on deck to really try to take the reins of this party, the provincial NDP? Well, that would be a big mistake if they put Kristen Wong Tam in as leader or Jill Andrew, because I also saw the same thing for her. Um, it 
I liken it to what's happening with the Democrats in the states, you know, in terms of that, those forces of, of the far left. And I guess so far, Biden and Kamala Harris have been able to keep them in check, although they have moved further to the left, that party itself, but not entirely crazy on the Bernie Sanders left. Um, I think that they need somebody who is moderate. I really think that they, you know, have to look at somebody who, like Andrea Horvath, tried to keep the party in check. I don't know who that candidate may be. Maybe you have some ideas. Um, Matthew Green was one name that I, I heard bantied about, but I don't know. I don't know. But to put the radical left lefty feminists, uh, lesbian feminists in, in charge, and I say that because I'm gay, so I can get away with it, uh, would be a big, big mistake. Yeah, and, and I guess the, the big question, too, is what the future of the Liberal Party is, because right now it doesn't look like they have much of a future. They had a dismal showing in 2018, and a lot of people were prepared to say, well, that was just because they were still paying for the crimes of Dalton McGuinty and Kathleen Wynne, and maybe they would, with a new leader, rebuild, so they get that new leader in, Stephen Del Duca. I mean, just a complete wet blanket, no charisma, no momentum, no original ideas. The liberals, you know, picked up a little bit of support from 2018, but but hardly any. If the liberals continue to not resonate with voters, I mean, the NDP could do quite well in the future. But again, not if they decide to be this really far left party that you're alluding to. Well, the problem is that every party is moving further to the left and Ford, in order to win, I believe, has sacrificed some of his conservative principles and, and you know, become has become woker. He did not take on the education file, which is a big issue and which I write about a lot for True North, mm -hmm. the, the, woke, the pandering to the woke, critical race theory, gender ideology, doubt very much he'll do that. So everybody keeps shifting a little further to the left. I don't know where liberals stand anymore. Uh, they certainly seem to be searching for a purpose um and yes you're right with Stephen del duca was a huge mistake he did not rebuild the party um you need somebody with you know a little bit more charm uh less baggage and i don't know who that might be there was talk mitzi hunter was asked last night about that yeah i mean I, I i think that also would be a huge mistake she has considerable baggage herself and um, I don't happen to think she's that sharp or competent to lead the party. I mean, you can say what you want about Kathleen Wynne, but she was sharp and, and um, personable. Uh, she just made a mess of the finances and did some really awful things. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, with, with with bad leaders, they always tend to, in hindsight, look better and better, and people who hated them come around them. Like, you look at how so many American leftists now think George Bush is like the gold standard for what a president is supposed to be when, you know, he spent eight years being Hitler, and I think even Kathleen Wynne. Now, I always liked Kathleen Wynne personally. She always took the time to come on my show. I always had amiable conversations, but I, I just fundamentally objected to everything that she was doing uh, as leader, but, but she is also considerably more moderate than what I fear is coming down the pipeline now. And, and you are right. I mean, th this is a, a broader problem that isn't just about the so-called progressive parties, that the PCs are, are facing this as well. And, and I guess I'll, I'll ask you then along that vein about the conservative offshoots that we saw this time around, the New Blue and the Ontario Party. No, didn't elect any members, but 
combined. I think they'd had just shy of of 5% of the vote. I mean, do you think that is a win for these parties? I do. I think that, you know, they they made some traction. Um, I actually spoke at the new blue conference and i think they were on they were desperately searching for a position on the spectrum and they were trying to appeal to people who feel that they have been abandoned by the progressive conservatives and some people i saw on social media last night were said well you might as well call them progressive um and you know when the I'll, I'll tell you the true test is when the msm the lefty mainstream media and people like um you know, the people on CTV and um, God, the, his name escaped me, but he was fawning over Doug Ford and that this was the, the dawn of a new era and they were just going crazy about uh, the idea that he has moved further to the left. And I thought, oh my God, when they give him kudos, we've got a problem. In fact, I tweeted that, Houston, we've got a problem that, you know, whatever happened to true conservative values and and fighting on the basis of that yeah and i wouldn't say that there's i i mean it's tough to say because we know he's not an ideologue he, he's more of a populist he likes being liked but one thing i would point out about doug ford which is is interesting here is that he spends a lot of time praising people that just hate him like praising justin trudeau and praising Christian Freeland, and, and they're never going to like him. And, you know, he didn't lift a finger in the last two federal election campaigns to support the conservative leaders, either Andrew Scheer or Aaron O'Jewell. So it does seem like he's he's campaigning for that affection that you mentioned. But again, that's not, I mean, he's got a majority government now. He doesn't have to deal with the COVID file in the same way that he did last time around. Uh, if you're a conservative voter that's expecting conservative policy from him, he doesn't have anywhere to hide right now. Yes, that's true. But I, I think that I, I really am concerned that he's not going to take on the teachers unions, for example. He hadn't in the first four years. Uh, I think Stephen Lecce was a mistake as the education minister. Um, I don't, you know, I, I have my doubts that that will be tackled. And I think uh, they just don't want to wade into that. And well, you know, whatever you say, I mean, he's abandoned some of the principles that I hold dear. Uh, in some respects, he's been a good conservative. In some respects, I think he's taken a knee to the woke crowd. And, and that really, really concerns me as they all shift in order to appeal to, uh, a, you know, and he talked about inclusivity in his acceptance speech last night. Like that was the most important thing, inclusivity, inclusivity. <laughs> sorry, you know, what happened to conservative values of being fiscally responsible, which he isn't and hasn't been, and, you know, law and order, those sort of things. He's funded safe injection sites. I think he's done a lot of stuff to pander to that vote that he didn't think he would get in the past and to pander to the mainstream media. Well, on that vein, Sue Ann, let me ask you about labor, because that was the one thing that the Conservatives really did differently this time. They, they actively and aggressively courted labor. I, th I was getting the PC party press releases, and pretty much every day they were announcing a, the new endorsement from a new labor union, some larger, some smaller. Uh, we know the labor minister, Monty McNaughton, was doing a lot of work to, to cultivate this. Is this, in your view, expanding the Conservative base in the way that we want to, as people on the right, see it expanded? Or is this uh, along that vein of pandering, like you were talking about? 
Well, let's be honest here. I mean, he got the support of labor because, uh, you know, the cynical me says that he's talking about building infrastructure. He's talking about building more subways. He's talking about uh, building, you know, the Highway 4 413. So labor stands, those unions stand to benefit considerably mm -hmm. from that. So, you know, why wouldn't they support him? The problem is, Andrew, and I see it out my own door, there's no account. You, you can talk all you want about building infrastructure, but there's absolutely no accountability. I mean, you've got Metrolinks, you've got Crosslinks building this Eglinton Crosstown LRT. It's now in its 12th year. I lay the blame squarely on the Ford government for not being more accountable and letting Metrolinks run with it. There have been problems with Metrolinks. So yeah, all well and good that you've got the support of the labor unions, but what about actually making them accountable for the builds and not letting them run, you know, two, three years behind. Yeah, and I think that was the big thing. If you look back at 2018 when he won, his big pitch was open for business. And I, and I think there were some private sector unions that were on the fence about supporting the PCs. They certainly weren't happy with the Liberals that time. And then COVID comes and it, and it sort of puts a damper on anyone's agenda. You can just ask Jason Kenney, Doug Ford, and, and so on. But you are right. I mean, ultimately speaking, these are their interests align with their members' interests, especially with private sector unions. They need jobs. They need money. They need stuff being built. And, and we don't know what was offered to these groups. And I'm not suggesting anything untoward happened, but but we don't know if it was just they bought into the general vision or if there were very specific projects. Yeah, we want this bridge. We want this highway and, and so on. We may never know. Yeah. And, you know, you know, the classic thing is to overbid and then come within the budget and say, oh, we've met the budget, but we've yeah. you know, added <laughs> 20% or 30% or whatever. I mean, that's exactly what's happening in my own neighborhood. But, you know, again, I get back to, you want to build infrastructure, don't put the entire province in a huge debt situation doing that. If you're not prepared to be accountable, then infrastructure, like you just can't go out there and build these things and then just leave them to their own devices. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just shocked at the lack of accountability on these projects, lack of accountability when it comes to fiscal, uh, you know, being fiscally careful, fiscal management, because that's not happening. Um, so yeah, it, uh, listen, Earning these votes that he did last night, earning that huge majority, great, but it came with a price. It came with a price to you, to me, to all Ontario taxpayers. Very well said. Sue Ann Levy, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks very much. Always uh, great to catch up with the lovely and wonderful Sue Ann Levy. You can catch her work at True North like the rest of us here. Uh, but again, she, she knows what it's like to be in the trenches uh, running, and she also knows what it's like to be on the outskirts covering it. And I had people asking me, believe it or not, because there was a, a riding near me that uh, was vacated and had a PC. I mean, the, the PCs were going to win it no matter what. So the candidate who run there got over like 50% of the vote. And when that riding was vacant, I had people asking, me knowing I ran four years ago. Oh, Andrew, you're going to run. And I was like, I didn't, I wasn't even tempted. Like there, there wasn't even a moment where I was like, yeah, you know, it would be nice. I'd be an MPP. I'd be in there. I'd, I'd like just absolutely. Now, not that they would even take me as, <laughs> not that they would even let me run, but if they did, 
I wondered whether I would go for that. And it, no, I absolutely was not interested. And it's not to say I would never at some point in the future run for office, but I, I have far more of a cynical view of the process. So something would very much need to change where I'd need to feel confident like I could actually have a say in what was happening and I could actually wield some influence. And, and right now I feel quite frankly, and this isn't to, you know, thump my chest or anything, like I'm able to wield more influence outside of the halls of government than inside just because of the how responsive or non-responsive, I should say, political parties are to their base and how responsive they are to what the mainstream media seems to want to prioritize. And, and this is why, from an independent media perspective, I think it's so important to have voices that are, that are proving that, yeah, there is a, a right flank on these issues. There's a left flank too, but we need to have all these sides represented so that people can understand what these issues actually are. And that's my pitch there. And we'll have more analysis on some of the bigger picture themes uh, emerging in Canadian politics more broadly next week. But I had to do uh, something of a recap of the Ontario election the day after here. So if you don't care about Ontario at all, I thank you very much for indulging if you did. Uh, before I say a for today, though, I, I do want to end on a particularly shameless self-promotional note here because I, I'm very excited to share with you that I have just announced this week the release of my first book, the upcoming release of my first book, The Freedom Convoy, the inside story of three weeks that shook the world. You can see the cover there. This has been a project I've been immersed in since the end of the convoy's time in Ottawa back in February. And at first I, I was saying to a friend of mine in particular, you know, I, someone needs to write a book about this because I, I learned there was so much behind the scenes and below the surface that wasn't captured in media coverage. And I eventually I kept saying this and then I realized, well, you know, who better to write this book than me? Because I have been interviewing these people and I have been spending time in Ottawa and I've been pointing out what it is that the mainstream media has been getting so wrong about this and, and so wrong about the convoy. So I decided to buckle down and say, you know what, I'm going to write this book and I did and it's going to be coming out on June 24th. So we we just announced it and made it available for pre-order this week. It's being published by Sutherland House, which is a great independent publisher in Canada and you can get it on their website at sutherlandhousebooks.com or you can also get it on Amazon. Uh, either way, I'd very much appreciate it and I want more people telling the story. I don't claim to have the monopoly on this. I want more people telling the story of the convoy because there's a story there that the mainstream media just kept getting wrong. So uh, June 24th is when my book's coming out and I do hope you read it and enjoy it. With that, we've got to end things there. My thanks to all of you for tuning into the show today. We'll talk to you next week. Hope you have a great weekend. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.